So we, last week was kind of a big week in that we finished up the book of Romans. We spent about five and a half months working through that letter. It was really, really uh, stretching and exciting, and I learned a ton. That's the best part about teaching, by the way, is that I get to learn way more than any of y'all, um, and I love it. And this is an interesting week because we are going to start a new series in a couple of weeks. Next weekend, we have Pastor Egypt, who's going to be visiting us from Texas, and so he's going to be here. Stoked about that. And so this week was kind of one of those in-between weeks. It's maybe, I can count in the palm of my hand the number of times in the last five years that I've had a weekend where I can just kind of go anywhere. And you might think, oh, that's cool. You know, after like almost six months of of being locked into a book, I can go anywhere. It's not cool. (laughs) Because the Bible is a big place. Like there are so many different things. And so here was my plan. My plan was hey, let's do a a book that I can cover in one week. The book of Philemon, it's like 21 verses long. We can cover that thing and we're like done, right? And it makes more sense because Paul wrote it while he was in captivity in Rome to somebody and it's kind of the, the, it just made all the sense. I'm like, that's where we're going. So for about a week, I was like ruminating on it, kind of let it sit in the marinade, sit down on Monday to write. And then God uh, flexed his, his option to veto. Instead, he decided to, kind of points something into me, goes, Eric, I need to show you something before you do any writing, before you put a single word on paper. I need to show something to you that you need to see about yourself. That's awesome, right? And so he, he kind of hammered me upside the head. And it's one of those things that I know that I'm not alone in, but I, I feel like it is one of those things that I'm not even aware of. It, it's one of those things where it, it's the proverbial frog in the kettle where it just gets hotter and hotter and hotter and you don't even realize that you're boiling to death until somebody pulls you out of the pot and you realize what regular room temperature feels like and you go, what on earth? How how am I surviving right now? And so I'm going to share this with you for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think I'm alone in this and I have a feeling that many of you in here are going to struggle in the same area. But secondly, I needed to work through this this week so this became my focus. Right? This is mainly, this message is not because Eric Wayman has this figured out. This message is 100% because I need to hear this message. And if any of you get anything out of this, awesome. That's gravy. But I need to hear this. And this message is about noise. 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 Yes, I know. When, when I told Lee, he's like, what? Noise. In meaning the kind of noise that we surround ourselves with. The kind of noise that we don't even realize is there because quite honestly it is the water in which we swim. Because does a fish even know it's wet? It just is, right? Until you pull that fish out of water and it realizes what not wet is. And then all of a sudden it might have some concept. We are surrounded by noise. In fact, we surround ourselves with noise constantly and don't even realize it. Let me give you an example. Hypothetically. You wake up in the morning, and as you're kind of drifting out of sleep, you go, I should read the Bible right now, but you know what? My phone is closer to me on my nightstand than my Bible. I'm going to grab my phone, and I'm going to open it up. I'm going to see what's going on in the world. I'm going to go ahead and check into Facebook, and I'm going to find out what my friends are doing, what they ate last night, what they were thinking, that friend that moved back, what what their house looks like that they bought back east that cost less for their mortgage than it cost to go to the gym here, right? (laughs) I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to find out how Notre Dame did last night. Now all this, sorry. Yeah, really, Teresa, that was for you. I have to find out all these things. And so all of a sudden we engage the moment that we wake up in the world and all of the information and all of the angst that kind of we had put to bed last night kind of comes welling back up. 
the comparisons between ourselves and others that we see on social media. We drag our carcasses out of bed. We go brush our teeth, maybe. We, we go to the kitchen. We turn on the television. If we don't have children to entertain, you know, if we have children, we put on PBS so they can watch something. We get some food. If not, we put on the news or something else like that just so we can kind of be caught up in the world, throw some food down our throats, head out the door, and as we're driving to drop the kids off, as we're driving in traffic to work, as we're driving from work to go pick up the kids, as we're carting everybody back and forth throughout our day, we have talk radio, sports radio, regular radio to keep us company. And throughout the day, if there's a moment, even a tiny little shred of a moment that we have free where we're not face-to-face looking at somebody, we have phones that we can pull out of our pocket and stare at so that we don't actually have have a single moment of silence, noise, activity, running from thing to thing to thing. We get home at night. We finally get the kids to bed. We collapse into the couch. We turn on the television. Can you turn me down just a little bit? Thank you. <laughs> Noise. Right? All of that kind of stuff. And then, and then we get in bed at night and it's like, okay, I just, I, I, you know, maybe some of us have televisions in our room. Maybe we, we just pick up a book and we start reading whatever it is. Pax, I love you. Thank you for illustrating my point perfectly. That was the last seven years of my life right there. And that's just me. That's what my wife has to deal with every day. So, all that to say, we are surrounded by noise and we don't even realize it. A couple years ago, I I bought myself some noise-canceling headphones. Because I'm one of those distractible people that when I sit down to write, I need absolute silence. Some of you like music. I can't have any noise. So I turn these things on. And and, and do you know how these work? Okay, so a noise-canceling headphone doesn't just cancel it doesn't just kind of like silence or muffle noise what it actually does is you turn it on and it starts to produce a low like decibel hum and what that does is it vibrates your eardrums just almost imperceptibly if you were listening for it you might hear it it kind of sounds like a a fan running in the back but what that does is it just barely vibrates your eardrums enough that it anesthetizes or deadens your eardrums from all of the other noises. In other words, it creates noise to overcome noise. And I think that's exactly what we do in our lives, whether we realize it or not. We surround ourselves with noise. We're surrounded by noise, but then we kind of wrap ourselves in it. In all of the things that we do, so that we don't have to hear all of the other noises. And in the process, you might be going, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is that it actually inhibits us from being able to hear important things. I think about when I grew up in my household. The picture I get of my household is of my, my family's living room. My dad had his chair. When I would walk in, his chair was right there, and it was his reading chair. When he wasn't at work, and he worked really, really hard, He would come home and he would sit down in his chair and he always had a book in front of him. He was always reading. And the picture I have is of my family, my mom, my brothers, and myself kind of orbiting around my father like satellites near him but never really interacting with him. Sure, he was interruptible, but we didn't interrupt him all that much. Instead, we interacted with my mom a whole lot more. And I think about that and I realize that I am perpetuating that in my home. Not in the same way, because my boys have never seen me with a book in my hands, because I don't need one. 
because I have access to every single book that has ever been written in the palm of my hand. So this is what my boys see a lot. Whether it's reading, whether it's checking out sports scores, whether it's reading news, whether it's checking my emails, whether it's texting back to somebody, this is what my boys see more often than not. And I begin to think to myself, how many conversations have I missed because I'm staring at this? How many moments that I would cherish in my heart the day when my boys finally move out of the house and provide for themselves in their 40s? How many conversations... How many moments would I cherish that I won't have noticed because I was too preoccupied with something that is so inane that I won't remember five seconds after it happens and yet it was so important to me because for me, this was a way to check out. How many conversations have I missed with my wife because of that? Here's here's the thing with my wife and I. um, She, one of her favorite things to do when, we, when the day ends and we put the kids to bed and we kind of are all ramped down and all that kind of stuff is to come down and lay down in bed and just talk. She just likes to process and there's no particular thing she wants to process. She just wants to talk about the day. She wants to talk about what we experienced, what the boys did, the funny things that we saw and all that kind of stuff. I like to check out. I pull out my bigger book reader right here. I pull out my Kindle. So this is what my wife sees when she comes down. And so my wife Unless there's something truly pressing, we'll just go in the bathroom. She doesn't want to interrupt me. She knows I've been working hard or whatever. She knows I get cranky when I get interrupted in the middle of a paragraph. So she'll go in the bathroom. She'll brush her teeth. She'll lay down in bed. She might pull out her phone and check in with Facebook for a little bit. Then she'll lean over and go, can we go to bed? Sure. Turn off the light. End of the day. And although we lie inches from one another, we're completely disengaged. We're missing out on the relationship that we otherwise might have had because I'm too preoccupied with the noise in my life, because I'm too unwilling to put it down. This is white noise that drowns out important things. And you might be going, hold on a second, Eric. I know that you're trying to make a point, but at the same time, these things are important. It's okay to have downtime. It's okay to read books or to watch television or to play fantasy sports or to you know, go to the gym or to do any number of these things that, that might be construed as white noise. And that's true. But anything in excess is unhealthy. And what I am finding is that I, I can't speak for anybody else, but what I am finding in my life is that the white noise is taking an inordinate amount of my time. In fact, it has filled every last nook and cranny. It is to the point for me, I'm not speaking for you, but for me, it is to the point where if my wife walks out of the room, even for a couple of minutes, hey, I'm going to go check on the boys real quick. The first thing I do is grab this just in case somebody has not texted me in the last minute and 32 seconds since I last checked it. Or I have to go check that sports score one more time before she gets in. It's almost as if I am uncomfortable with noise. Does anybody else feel that way? Okay, maybe it's just me. There's a couple of you. Good. Thank you for being honest. Okay, that's fine. You can process. Do it quicker. I'm just kidding. We are surrounded with white noise and we don't even realize it. Because it is just normal. We're all doing it. And so like fish swimming in water, we, we just think this is normal life. And we go through it. And imagine... The opportunities we're missing. Imagine the relationship that we're missing out on. Imagine 
what it's doing to us. Because here's the thing. The white noise doesn't just deaden us to the conversations that are taking place out there. It deadens us to our ability to hear and process what's going on in here. I remember one time I was, I was complaining to my friend, because this has been a conversation that's been ongoing for me for several years. I was complaining to one of my buddies that this was the single greatest source of noise in my life. I said, this is the problem. You know how the Bible says if, if your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. It's better to you know, not have that hand than to go through life sinning. This needs to be cut off. I think I need to go and get one of those analog phones that all I can do is text and call, and I can't get internet or anything because I just, this is too much noise for me. And he goes, well, Eric, maybe that's a, a good thing. He gives me a hard time about the fact that I'm still carrying this around in my pocket like three years later. But he goes, Eric, that might be the case, that you might need to change phones. However, do not for a moment think that this is the problem. This is simply the drug that you use to anesthetize yourself. The real issue is in here. It's in here. Because the reality is all of the noise outside covers up the noise inside and he was absolutely right one of the reasons why i think i am so uncomfortable with silence is that when it's silent when i am still when i don't have the distraction all of a sudden all i have left is to look inside and they go what's going on and it's uncomfortable because sometimes it's unprocessed emotions that quite honestly are scary and i don't know really how to put them into words and they you know, emotion is not acceptable for men is at least one of those things that goes through my mind. The only two acceptable emotions for a guy I have been taught through life is anger and apathy. Those are the only two. So any other emotions, man, that's scary. And I don't even know what to do with that. I don't even have a word for that emotion. So I'm just going dis- to distract myself. But here's the thing. When we don't deal with what's going on inside, whether it's angst, whether it's frustration about um, dreams that are left unfulfilled or expectations about life that have not yet come true or, or disappointments with people, disappointments with children, disappointments with spouse, disappointments with self. Any of those things. It is much easier to just check out than to check it out and deal with it. It is much easier to just blind ourselves to it and anesthetize ourselves to it and allow the noise to distract from it as opposed to actually dealing with it. And so we run to something. We run to things when we are... The acronym I like to use is HABITS. In the 12-step program, they call it HALT. I've changed it to HABIT just because I remind myself these are the habits we run to when we are hungry when we are angry, when we're bored, when we're isolated, or when we're tired. When I find myself being hungry, that's when I'm most tempted to run to the things that I use to kind of deaden the pain. When I'm angry at somebody, I find myself running to those things. When I'm bored, right, idle hands are the devil's playground, that's when I find myself running to these things that distract myself. When I feel isolated and lonely, I'm alone in this. Well, I might as well go eat half a thing of ice cream, right? And, and watch a movie or something like that. Or when I'm tired, when I'm exhausted. And this goes for when you have been running a million miles a minute, doing lots and lots of really good things. And you just kind of that, come to that breaking point where you go, man, I deserve a break. These are the times that we are going to most naturally run to our drugs of choice, to anesthetize ourselves, to deaden the pain, to just kind of... 
And it may be, for me, I don't know what it is for you. It can look like a lot of different things. It can look like, it can look like alcohol. It can look like food. It can look like shopping. It can look like exercising lots and lots and lots. It can look like pornography. I'll tell you, one of the ones that I struggle with, one of the ones that is my tell that I run to, my habit, is books. And I know that I, I don't want you to for a minute go, oh, Eric is holier than thou. He reads books. That is his vice. It, I'm not talking theology books. I'm talking about just straight up pulp fiction, just mindless books. Like, I like science fiction and I read a ton of them. I'm excited to go see The Martian because, you know, it was a great book. For those of you who haven't read it, whatever. I'm not about to share my vice. Um, but for me, books... I read books like an alcoholic drinks drinks, right? The alcoholic might finish something, put one bottle down, open the next one, and go right to it without a pause. For me, I do books the same way. I don't even have to put a book down because they're all on here. I finish one book, and I can just scroll to the next one in my queue and keep going. The, The sound never needs to stop. I never need to cease. I never have to look at what's really going on and process it. Yes, we're going to get to Scripture eventually. Don't worry. (laughs) The problem is, there is a problem with living life this way. When we deaden ourselves to what's going on inside and just keep running and running and running on that hamster wheel of life and doing more and more activity or just ignoring what's going on underneath, it will have a physiological effect on us. I think about uh, uh, my first car that I had. I ignored the noises. I was on my, my first date in like two years. It was a blind date. It was the last date. Um, it, not by my choice. But, you know, it was, we were, my brother and I were on a double date. We had taken some girls to, to go see a Kings game. We were driving home from it, and I'm driving my little Toyota, and I hear a knocking sound. Knock, 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 knock. And I don't know what that is, but I'm not about to pull over and like break down on the side of the road with the first date I've had in two years. So I just turn up the radio and pretend like nothing's going on and we're heading down the highway. Well, that knocking noise was my engine seizing up because apparently you have to put both gas and oil into a car. (laughs) And we made it about another mile and a half down the road before I did break down on the side of the road. And that was the end of that car. I completely destroyed the engine and it was a complete loss because I would not listen to the noises. And when we don't listen to the noises in our own self, when we don't deal with those or at least stop long enough to go, what's going on? Then it begins to have physiological effects on our bodies. We start to feel tension in our shoulders, our spine, our neck, our lower back. Sometimes that's because of trauma we've done to ourselves. But I have learned that a lot of times that's because of stress that we are not dealing with. There's a, a doctor that I was reading this week. Can we throw that quote up on there? This is from Dr. Susan Babble, who's also a marriage and family therapist. She deals with people all day long, and she wrote, Often physical pain functions to warn a person that there is still emotional work to be done. So just because you feel physical pain doesn't mean that, all, that the response is, I'm going to take a painkiller, or I'm going to go to the chiropractor and just have him snap my neck once or twice. Although that might give you a momentary comfort, it's not necessarily dealing with the underlying issue, which is that there is stuff that you're working through that is not being addressed. Sometimes the physical pain that we feel is our body's way of trying to get our attention. 
Kind of like the check engine light on our dashboard that most of us ignore until the car breaks down. At least I do, typically. I'm not kind to vehicles. But what's the alternative? Well, with the vehicle, it's a pretty easy one, right? Check engine light comes on or a noise comes on. Pull over to the side of the road, which is very difficult to do when you're driving in the fast lane. Pull over to the side of the road. Put that thing in park. Turn off the radio. Get out. Pop the, the, tr- pop the hood. And listen. Just listen. And if you're like me, you're not going to have a clue what you're listening to. <laughs> Total side note, the one time I stopped to help somebody on the side of the road try to fix their vehicle, it was a, a woman in a Honda Civic trying to go up um, the mountains in Big Bear. I see her there, I go, Kathy's in the car with me. We were like dating at this point. I'm like, I'm going to show her what a good man I am. So I pull over to help the woman. I go, what's the problem? She goes, I think I might be low on oil. So I start looking around for the dipstick because I have heard that they're in there. I couldn't find it. So this woman has five quarts of oil in the trunk of her car. I go, I got this. I open up the oil thing and I start pouring it in, waiting for it to top off. For any of you who know cars, it's never going to top off because I was literally filling her engine up with oil. And I put all five quarts into something that maybe takes one or two. I go, well, it didn't top off, but you should be fine. I put the cat back on. I go, God bless you. And I drove away. If you're broken down, don't call me. If you need a ride, I'd be happy to give you a ride. If you need actual help, call Jeff Blum. He actually knows what he's doing. So with a vehicle, do one of two things. Either try to assess what's going on yourself or you take it to somebody like Jeff who actually knows what they're doing, has the ability not only to diagnose but to fix the problem, right? And in the same way with ourselves. If we are running a million miles a minute and have surrounded ourselves with this blanket of white noise so that we never actually hear anything, we might be able to deal with the symptoms, the neck pain, the back pain, all that kind of stuff. But if we don't actually pause from time to time in our life and turn off the noise, as difficult and as uncomfortable as that might be, and actually give space to listen to what's going on inside and consider why we might be anxious, why we might be snapping at our spouse, why we might be acting out in some of those habitual ways that we know are kind of our tells that there's something going on. If we don't actually stop when we see those red flags, then we're headed for a crash. And since like the vehicle, we may not necessarily be able to discern what's going on, probably the best thing we can do is to take ourselves to the one person who knows us better than we know ourselves, the one who created us, and that's God. And with that, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. All that was intro. We're going to be here for a long time today. Just kidding. Mark chapter 1. Right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry as he's traveling around, he showed us just how important pausing in our life was. Jesus had just called his first disciples, and and he's beginning to see a lot of really positive fruit come from his ministry. We'll begin in verse 21. We're going to read for a little bit just to get some context before we get to where we're actually going to look at. So Jesus took these new disciples that he had just called, and they went to Capernaum. 
And when the Sabbath came, the Sabbath is from sundown on Friday night to sundown, uh, sundown Saturday evening. For 24 hours is called the Sabbath. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue, that place of worship for the Jews, and he began to teach them. Well, the people were amazed because Jesus didn't teach like one of their teachers did, which is they would typically like quote other teachers. Well, it's like Rabbi Gamaliel says this or that, you know. Well, it's like Rabbi Lee Harrison says this or that, right? Jesus instead just said, this is how it is. He spoke with authority as if he was an authority himself as opposed to using somebody else's borrowed authority. So the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law who loved to quote one another. Well, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Jesus straight up looked at him and went, Be quiet. Silence. Come out of this man. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Well, the people were understandably amazed. And they asked each other, who is this? A new teaching and with authority. And he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And so news about Jesus spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. They're in one little village and word starts to spread as people begin to talk about it. Well, as soon as they left the synagogue still on the Sabbath, they went, to, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew, two of his other disciples. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus, hey, mother-in-law's upstairs and she's sick. And so he went to her. He took her by the hand and helped her up. And then the fever left her. He healed her. And then she began to, to wait on them. And that evening after sunset, why is it after sunset? Because it was the Sabbath. And people were only allowed to walk a certain amount of, uh, of space on the Sabbath. But as soon as the Sabbath ended at sundown, here come the people. Here come the crowds. Everybody's heard about this Jesus, this teacher with authority who can even drive out impure spirits, this guy who can heal the sick. And so people start coming out of the woodwork. All of the town began. They brought their sick and the demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And Jesus was not. That's another whole conversation about why he wouldn't let them speak. But this is awesome. Really, at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus is starting to see amazing fruit. The word is out. People are excited. They're coming from everywhere. And you might think, well, this is great. All he needs to do now is sit back. And let the people come. I mean, he can start his own big synagogue there. He can have this big church. Perfect. And yet, in the midst of all of the excitement, in the midst of him being on the freeway going, you know, 75, maybe being in the fast lane, and we might just say, hey, keep the pedal to the metal. Let's see how far this thing can go before we have to move on. Jesus did this. Verse 38. I'm sorry, verse 35. Very early in the next morning, after all of this excitement of people coming in, the crowds being there and healing and praying and casting out demons and all that, very early in the morning, while it was still dark out, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Because here's the thing. Jesus recognized that in this excitement, it could be really easy to get caught up in the, the grinding and the going and, and the excitement. And he could just get focused on that and he could do lots and lots of really good things, but he needed to stay connected to his father. He recognized that. He needed to stay grounded. He needed to pause, even in the midst of the excitement, to just go, how am I doing? How are we doing? 
how's this doing? Is this what we should be doing? Well, it didn't take long, verse 36, before Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Round two, Jesus, get back here. You don't have time for this. Let's go. And Jesus, who had now breathed a little bit, had been able to kind of reassess, what am I doing? Why are we doing this? Reconnect with the Father. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also because this is why I've come. And I've got a left going, wait a minute, Jesus. You have people coming to you. Why do you need to go to them? You have all these people who want you to heal them, all these demons to cast out. Isn't that good enough? But in pausing, Jesus had been able to assess the fruit and he, remind, he was reminded of the fact that, listen, I did not come just to heal people's momentary wounds to take away the aches and the pains. I have come to seek and save the lost. I have come to advance the kingdom of God and to share the gospel message that I will, to, to plant seeds in people's hearts that I will ultimately water with my own blood shed on the cross. That's why I've come. So yes, this is a good thing, but this is not necessarily the best thing. So let's go. And this week as I was reading that, I, I, I was left kind of thinking, well, how would I have responded had I been in Jesus' shoes? Had I been the one who was seeing tremendous fruit, so much so that people were coming from everywhere, would I have even paused long enough to go, God, is this the best thing? I think probably I would have just looked at the fruit and gone, this is the best thing. It's evident. I think I probably would have slipped into a posture similar to that of a, a woman named Martha. And most of you probably are familiar with this story. If not, I'll just remind you of it. During another time in Jesus' ministry, he goes to this house of these two women, Martha and her sister Mary. And Martha is like the ultimate hostess. She would give Diane Winicky a run for her money. <laughs> Martha opens her home to Jesus and his disciples, welcomes them in. She runs into the kitchen. She starts whipping up food. She starts bringing these beautiful trays out of food. She starts taking their glasses. What, would you like more tea? Would you like, I got a little bit of, uh, you know, whatever. You know, she's making it nice for them. But underneath all the activity is frustration because Martha is in the kitchen by herself doing a whole lot. And she looks in the living room and there is her sister Mary who should be in there with her helping sitting at Jesus' feet as if she's one of his disciples. And the frustration starts to swirl. But instead of dealing with it, she just covers it up and kind of double times just keeps going harder and harder until that frustration comes to a boiling point. And at that point, like Mount Vesuvius, she snaps. She throws her knife down, probably takes her apron off, comes marching into the living room, and rather than looking at Mary and saying, Mary, I need to talk to you, she looks straight at Jesus in the most like undignified and, and probably most disrupt, disruptive way she possibly could. Jesus, oh, look at my sister Mary. She should be helping me, but instead she's sitting here. Tell her to come help me. Isn't it funny how when we don't actually just kind of deal with our angst, when we kind of cover it up for a time, eventually it kind of metastasizes to be something so when we finally do respond with it it's like 10 times worse than we otherwise would have done it right when we hold on to frustration at a spouse or at a friend or at a co-worker and we just bury it and bury it and bury it until we can't bury it any longer when it finally comes out it's like boom and what might have been a minor skirmish becomes a full-out war 
But Jesus looks at Martha, and he looks right to the heart of it, and he speaks right to the heart of what the issue is. And Jesus goes, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by so many things. And only one thing is really necessary. And your sister, Mary, has chosen that, so I'm not about to take that from her. Martha, you have traded relationship for busyness. You are serving me, but in the process you've forgotten about even having an intimate connection to me. And Mary has chosen to be with me. And whether you feel like she's shirked her responsibilities, she's chosen relationship, and I'm not about to take that from her. Martha, relax. Have you guys ever gotten to that point where you realize, and I will be the first to say I have, And I think right now God is saying, I am. You are doing all of these things in my name. But have you slowed down long enough to consider why you're doing them? Have you slowed down long enough to ask yourself, have I asked you to do that? Have you slowed down long enough to say, God, are you with me in this? Because where you go, I want to go. What you do, I want to do. God, use me. Let's walk together. Instead, you come gone running off in my name to take a hill that I may not have asked you to take. And to do it in your strength as opposed to my strength. So when you get there, you can go, look what I have done for you, rather than saying, it is by God's strength. And it is for his name and his glory alone that I do anything. This week, God has been basically challenging me to slow down, to breathe, to pause, to intentionally try to shut off the noise. And it's looked like a lot of different things. It's looked like um, when I'm driving in the car, shutting off the radio, driving in silence. Yeah, I have a huge commute. It's about 150 yards here, and I still drive most days. Um, Or when I'm going anywhere, it's like I... Rather than having talk radio on or something else, I'm simply driving in silence. Not necessarily because I'm having a conversation with God. I'm just trying to get used to silence. Because within the midst of silence comes this place where I can begin to realize just how not still my heart really is. It's still like a flywheel that's going a million miles a minute. And when the silence is there, all of a sudden my thoughts start going. Or I start to become more aware of them but at least I'm aware of them. I've started um, trying to be intentional when I come home of taking my phone out of my pocket like my wife has requested for years that I do, taking my phone out of my pocket and just putting it down and then walking into the living room and interacting with my family. So some of you have called me this week and I have not you know, answered the phone right away. I haven't responded to emails or texts right away. It's because I'm trying to intentionally slow down and be present. Because I don't want to be physically present and yet emotionally unavailable like I've been for my family. I don't want to perpetuate the sins of, of generation upon generation. I don't want to be that kind of a father, that kind of a husband to my wife. I'll tell you, it's been really uncomfortable. <laughs> There's plenty of times where I'm laying down on the ground playing Monopoly with Ethan and I, without even thinking, like Ethan turns away to look somewhere and I like reach for my pocket to just 
seriously, just to see if there's a little light on my phone that's blinking saying I have a, a message or something like that, right? It's like, it's not there, and it almost feels like that phantom hand when somebody gets their arm cut off, they talk about feeling like the hand is still there. It's like, oh, it's not there. I, I will feel it vibrate from time to time and then realize I don't even have a phone in my pocket. But it still feels like it's there. It's a sickness, but it's all of our sickness, so you know I'm in good company. I have uh, been seeking to slow down and to carve out space, like Jesus did, of solitude. Just being still. Not simply, you know, it, it can be really easy to think that a quiet time in the morning is, God, let me give you the laundry list of all of my needs, and now I'm going to read my two chapters today. Done and done. Right? Move on with the day. And we have not been quiet one moment of that entire time. That's not a conversation. That's a monologue. A conversation is two-directional. It means that there are times for us to bring our prayer requests and our desires and our, our asks to God. But there are also moments to just simply be still and sit and go, God, search me and know me. Show me if there's anything that I need to see. I'm just going to be silent before you for a little bit. I've been trying to do that. And you know what I found in the midst of that? I found what one of... Uh, I was reading one ancient uh, father uh, who was talking about being still and, and solitude and all that kind of stuff. And he said, this is what it's like when you first start to try to be still. It's like a man who has had a house with the doors and windows open at all hours of the day and people, their thought, his thoughts, like people just come in and out, feel free to come anytime they want. And then all of a sudden, one day, he tries to shut the doors and shut the windows and latch them closed. And all of a sudden, those thoughts like people come and knock on the door. Why is it closed? Why can't we come in? Hello? Is anybody in there? And he goes, at first, it will feel maddening because you're trying to be silent. You're trying to be still. And yet, the, 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 the voices, the thoughts, the, the distractions, the noises are just everywhere. They're everywhere inside of us. But with time and with practice and with becoming used to those, t those times of silence and solitude, you will find that they come around less and less and less. And that's why it's a spiritual discipline, because it will feel like a waste of time, like an utter waste of time, like there's a hundred other things that you should be doing that are more important than that quiet time. And yet as somebody, and I can't even remember who said it, said, I am too busy not to pray. I am too busy not to slow down and stop and pause. Because if we don't, then we are headed for a breakdown sooner rather than later. So those are some daily rhythms, right? Some other things that like John Ortberg suggested, hey, try getting in the slow lane and just sitting in the slow lane. In one lane, don't change lanes. My wife wishes I would take my own advice here on this one. Sit in the slow lane and be just to cultivate that nature of slowing down because we live in a society that is fast-paced and we are constantly rushing. Go to a supermarket and stand in the longest line rather than the shortest one. Let somebody go before you with a large basket full, not just like one or two items. Practice slowing down. It will war against your soul if you're anything like me. If you have this hurry sickness, it will war against every part of you and yet... We are like those frogs boiling in water and don't even realize it. And these are ways for us to take a leg out and to just start to cool off so that we don't burn out.
One other thing before I, um, before we kind of close up here, and that's this. God recognized our desperate need to pause. He recognized that we, from time to time, regularly need to build into our lives a rhythm of going and then stopping and pausing and, and resting and reconnecting, not only with one another in the horizontal, but in the vertical with him. Reconnecting with God, how are we doing? And so he built it into the rhythm of life. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, we see that rhythm. On six days he created, on the seventh he rested. And when we come to Deuteronomy and the Ten Commandments, the number four commandment of all ten is honor the Sabbath, this day of rest. On six days you can do all of your labor, but on the seventh you need to rest because I've modeled it for you. And because you need it. This Sabbath is for you to keep you. You don't keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath keeps you sane. Because the Sabbath is a day to breathe, to reconnect, to kind of pull our heads up above the water because here's what will happen if we don't. I used to be a lifeguard down in Newport Beach for about a decade. And during that time, on my breaks, I would go swim uh, in the ocean as far as I could on, on the allotted time. But what happens in the ocean is that you might think in your mind the quickest way to get from point A to point B is to put your head down and just swim as hard as you possibly can. But the ocean is not static. There are waves that are pushing and pulling. And if you don't from time to time pause and pick your head up and kind of assess which way you're going, you can very easily start to swim out into the ocean or swim into shore. And there have been times where I have swam hundreds of yards out of my way simply because I was too busy not to pick my head up and kind of go, where am I headed? And so what I found that I needed to do when I tried to swim in the ocean is that I needed to regularly identify uh, a true north, a static point that would not move. It was off in the pier. And then as I'm swimming, I would go, I would go, and then I would stop and pick my head up and I would assess where I was based upon, there's the pier, there's my true north. And I would orient myself and all of my effort around it. And then I would continue to swim. If I did not do that, I could, I could expend all of my energy swimming in the wrong direction. And I suspect that there are a lot of us here who have been expending a lot of energy in the wrong direction and then getting frustrated that it's not producing the fruit that we want to see instead, feeling that we have tension in our shoulders and pain in our backs and, and, and tension in our marriages and frustration at work and just feeling like you're, you're spinning your wheels in the mud. You're stuck in the doldrums. And the reminder this morning is a reminder that it's for me and, and I, I would suspect for a lot of us, and that is we simply need to pause. If Jesus needed to do it, we need to do it. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to give us a few minutes for us to pause right now. It's going to feel uncomfortable. For the most part, many of us are going to feel like all of those distractions are going to come bombarding us. I understand that, but we just need to start somewhere, so let's start now. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a prayer that David wrote in Psalm 139. It's just the last couple of verses of that. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to spend about five minutes of complete and utter silence. If you've got a phone, this would be a great time to turn it off. Don't even let it be on vibrate right now. Don't allow for any distractions that you've got. 
If you've got a Bible, close it. Put it away. We're not, reading is not being silent and still. We're going to close our eyes. And so, Father, we ask that you would search us and know us. Know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive ways in us, and we pray that you would lead us in the way everlasting. Would you just speak to us right now? We're listening.
for some of us that was really uh, relaxing. For some of us that was really painful. For all of us that was really necessary. Father, I pray that you would help us to intentionally carve out space in our life to listen. That we would not run and run and run and redline until we finally break down. Would you open our eyes to the things we need to see inside? Would you help us to even bring the good things in our lives before you and, and, and lay them down with open palms and say, Father, show me what to say yes to and what to say no to. Search me and know me. Know my anxious thoughts. Show me if there's anything that is getting in the way of my intimacy with you, my spouse, my kids, my co-workers. And Father God, lead me. Give me the ears to hear and help me to ruthlessly cut away the white noise that distracts me. Help me to find a rhythm, a regular rhythm of pause in my life. We're going to spend a couple of minutes just worshiping through the song. And in a couple of minutes, uh, the ushers will come and take an offering and you have those those little tear off sections maybe during that time of stillness you recognize that there was something um, that you need prayer for if so just write that down we, ha- we would love the opportunity to pray for you this week maybe during this time you simply want to continue to be still and silent and that's fine maybe you want to sing whatever you want to do you can respond in any way and in about two minutes or so we'll have the ushers come forward